This year on the Haggadah is, is in memory of Dr. Chuck Feldman, Zichronoli sponsored by his loving family. And as I said in the past, uh, we knew Dr. Feldman well, and he was an exceptional personality in his community, as an educator, a doctor. Um, the first source, if you look at the first source on the sheet, it's the first Mishnah in Arveit Sachim. And it says, it's, it, it, it lists a few halachot. There is this idea that when you do a mitzvah of eating, it's good to do it when you're hungry. Because then you get the uh, full force of eating. So late in the afternoon, the Mishnah says you shouldn't eat. Because when you eat the matzah, and eat the maror, <coughs> the matzah is a mitzvah min ha-Torah, and maror is only a mitzvah to Rabbanan today. He says, lo yuchal adam you shouldn't eat until it gets dark. So you could feel like you're really doing the mitzvah. Then, there's an interesting comment in the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, afilu anishi b'Yisrael, now we know that there is an obligation of haseva, of leaning, of eating like we were all very important people. There was this idea that really important people used to eat on couches, like the Roman, if you could imagine a movie about Rome, like the old-time Romans, they would eat on a couch, and the food would be brought to them, and that was considered to be um, a very regal. Like, you know, only the best people, only the people who had a lot of time. So the Mishnah says that I feel Yisrael. Now we know, I'm sorry, we know that this idea of Haseba is obligatory even today. Whenever we do a mitzvah in the Haggadah, we have to do it with Haseba. Uh, we believe like you have to it's a little hard for us to do it I mean I don't understand exactly I know Rabbi Soloveitchik they used to ask him every year how do you do it and he would say you got to lean against the chair this way but since I've never seen anybody of their own free will eat this way I'm not sure exactly what the point is except that there's an obligation you know if you have a halakhic mindset so there's an obligation, Nidrabbanan, to have a seba. And uh, so you try to fulfill it somehow, right? Even though it doesn't, to me, doesn't make much sense. There's one exclusion. There are a lot of uh, poskim that exclude women from this obligation because it, it, it apparently was not common for Roman women to eat this way. But the raviyah, I mean, what did the Rishonim? says that if it's a, a woman of significance, well, he doesn't say what that is exactly, a woman of significance, so she can do that, that makes sense. But the idea is, the idea is that there was this posture, I think the idea is that there was this posture that, uh, that uh, important people assumed when they were eating. And so that's what we do. We act as though we're all very important people. Now, getting back to the Mishnah, there is this strange halacha, Filu Anisha Yisrael. 
even the impoverished in Yisrael, he should also do this, even though he's poor, hasn't got food, hasn't got anything to eat, hasn't got a chair, you know, he should lean somehow when, he, when he's eating. And then the last halacha, the last halacha is lo yifchetu lo me'arba And there's another uh, obligation that we have on the night of Pesach, and that is to drink four cups of wine. Right? How the, they come up? Actually, what the wine is, is like a break between different parts of the, of the Seder. Uh, first there's Kiddush, right? Kiddush is, we start, every Yantif and Shabbos starts off with Kiddush. Except that on, the, on Pesach, everybody has to drink wine. On Shabbos, Friday night, you don't have to drink wine. I mean, it's enough if, if, enough if the person who is making Kiddush, the person who is making Kiddush drinks the wine, and, and uh, no one else has to. I mean, our minag is usually that people help out. Like if uh, somebody makes Kiddush, you can't drink all that wine, so we give it out to everybody, drinks a little bit that, and joins in. But in fact, if the person who makes Kiddush can drink all the rove coats of the wine by himself, so that's, that's fine. But not on the night of Pesach. On the night of Pesach, the, the Kiddush is the first cup of the four cups. And everybody has an obligation to drink four cups of wine on the night of Pesach. So you don't give out wine, but everybody has their own goblet or cup in which they fill up and drink and they drink the wine. So here the halacha says in the Mishnah, we're talking about a Mishnah, right? You know, a Mishnah is, uh, is the, earliest, the earliest source that we have about uh, Pesach. It says, Even the impoverished, they have, to, they have to lean, they have to act like they were big shots. And then it says, and, and he has to have, that poor person has to get four cups of wine. It was not steaks and not vegetables, but wine. You have to give it to him. Even if the poor person is getting his own food from the uh, local uh, soup, kitchen. Uh, soup kitchen, yeah. So he's got to have four cups of wine. So it looks like, oh, struck me a little, a little strange. I mean, I mean, who are we kidding? I mean, this poor person, he's poor before Pesach, is we poor after Pesach. In fact, if he drinks four cups of wine in between, I mean, what, what's the big deal? I mean, why is it that we're so careful? Why don't we give him something else? Why don't we give him, uh, you know, a real meal? A real meal to eat? So, okay, you could say that the Mishnah is talking about about uh, a mitzvot. I mean, these are both hasaba and arba kosot, are both mitzvot midrabanan. Both, even the wine that you drink in Kiddush is also mitzvah right? Even on Friday night, it's a mitzvah We have to understand the distinctions. On Friday night, Kiddush is minha Torah, it's daraita. But the wine is rabbanan. <coughs> 
You don't have to drink wine when you make kiddush. But Chacham said, drink, drink the wine for whatever whatever the reason is. On Pesach, kiddush is drabonon, right? Kiddush is drabonon, and drinking the wine is also drabonon. But they're like drinking the wine. They're two drabonons. One is that there's wine that goes with kiddush, and the other is that there are four cups of wine that you have to drink, and that's the first of the four four cups of wine. So I don't understand. I don't really understand why we're so interested in the Ani faking it. I mean, I mean, you go to an Ani, somebody who is uh, living a miserable life, and you say to him, well, part of the obligation on Pesach is that you should make believe that you're rich. I mean, what exactly, what exactly is the Mishnah trying to, uh, to help me with? That's, that moment made you feel rich. They always said, they always gave that story about the people who were so poor in the low, like the Lower East Side when they came and the immigrants, when they sat, they were almost slaves working in those factories, but when they sat down at the Shabbos table, oh. they felt like... They felt I think like most of them went to work on Shabbos. Well, <laughs> I don't know if they sat down at the Shabbos table. Every Friday sat down and then they went to work. <laughs> No, I think it's a suspense of like a suspension of discipline. You know, in Manhattan, the first Orthodox doctor was known. If there were more than that, if there were more, he wouldn't have been known. But there was only one. It's amazing. Today, to think that there could be one Orthodox doctor in New York City, he used to walk on Shabbos. He used to walk on Shabbos to, to patients. Little kids would come and get him and say, oh, somebody at home is sick, and he would walk, you know. And then, uh, well, it's interesting. But maybe you're right. Let's look at the beginning of the Haggadah. You see, the next, the next source is the beginning of the Haggadah. Ma'anya de'achalu avatana Okay, this sentence is in, written in Aramaic which means that it originates in the diaspora, right, in Bavel. Bavel, they spoke Ara- Aramaic. In Eretz Israel, they also spoke Aramaic, but not quite as intensive, right? The Mishnah, which comes from Eretz Israel, was written in Hebrew. The Gemara from Bavel was written in Aramaic, mostly. But the Gemara from Eretz Israel was also written in Aramaic. But I think... I think that it's generally agreed that this line comes from Bavel, because it's about living in the diaspora. This is how we start. We say, Ha-Lachma-Anya. Lachma-Anya is Lechem Oni, the impoverished, the, the bread of the impoverished. That's Matzah. You say, Ha-Lachma-Anya. Ha is a dectic particle, right? Look, point at it, right? Zeh. There, and, and, and you know that the Meshoshim of uh, Tanakh and also the Zohar very big on the word Zeh. They, 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 they thought that Zeh always meant that there's something special. When you point at something, you mean, I want you to see something that you might have overlooked. Something special about it. That's what Zeh means. In any event, it says, Holach Ma'anya, the Achalo Avatana, the Ara the Mitzrayim, is the same bread that was eaten by our forefathers in Mitzrayim. And then we say, 
Right? Kalach ma'anya. I mean, what, what's the point of starting the Seder this way? I'm not sure. But then it says, All of you who are hungry, please come and eat. All of those of you who are needy should come and uh, be part of the Pesach. That doesn't mean Korban Pesach. There was certainly no Korban Pesach, but whatever it is that we're serving in Pesach. Then it says, Hashata Hacha. Hashata Hacha. Hashata means at this time, Hacha. We are here, meaning outside of Eretz Yisrael. Lishana Ba'ab Aradi Yisrael. Next year, we'll be in Eretz Yisrael. Hashata Abde. Now we are slaves. Where, where are we now slaves? Where are we slaves? Well, I guess. But what does it mean? If it was written in Bavel, so it means we're not independent, we don't have kingship, we don't have, we don't have, uh, we're not self-determined, we're not our own bosses. I mean, whatever you, whatever you want to say. Hashata Abdei, Lishana Haba'a So this is easily, to me, the most depressing line in the Haggadah. Right? It's absolute, and it's the introduction to the Haggadah. It's, it's like you say, before I tell you about Yitziat Mitzrayim, I just want to remind you that it didn't work. That, that here we are, here we are exactly where we were before Yitziat Mitzrayim. I mean, we're geographically in a different place. But we are emotionally and politically <coughs> in the same place. Imagine they say the, the, the introduction to the Haggadah, Hashata Abde. Today we are slaves. Hashata Abde, Lishana Haba'a. That means next year, which means hope. We hope. We, are, we dream. B'nei Chorin. We will be free. This is the opening statement in the Haggadah. Besides, of course, you know, we spoke about it last, last week. That comes before that. But this is the first state, content statement. What's the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim up to now? That it didn't work. That whatever it was that it was supposed to accomplish, what it did may be accomplished is that we recognize the, the sadness of our situation today in the day as we, re we recognize how uh, unhappy, difficult, uh, uh, improbable our situation is today. Okay? That's the second thing. So that's a, like a problem. Why do we do that? Why do we start off with... Uh, why do we start off that way? It seems so odd. It seems so odd. Also, the beginning of it, Halach Ma'anya, the Achalu Abatana, the Arad Mitzrayim. You know, okay, why do, we, why do we need that? The next thing on the, uh, in the Haggadah, I mean, there are two things in the Haggadah that we still have to learn before we try to understand. One is, one, the first is Manishtana. First is Manishtana. I mean, Manishtana is very strange. 
It's based on the idea that is presented in the Haggadah in different ways that you have to ask a question. That you have to ask a question. Now everybody knows that there are two kinds of questions. Everybody knows that. Rav Nachman of Braslav said this. There is a Mishnah in Pirkei Avot that says, Da ma'lahashiv lapikaris. That we have an obligation. We have an obligation to understand, to learn, to study, so that we will be able to respond when we are attacked by an apikaris. Attacked by apikaris, these apikaris. They say, I don't believe in God, or I don't believe God created the world, or I don't believe that you have to do it, that God wants us to do anything, whatever it is. Whatever it is, but you have to know how to respond. You have to know how to respond. That's what the Mishnah in Pirkei Avot says. Rav Nachman of Bratzlav said, he said, you know, there are two kinds of questions in the world. There's a question, there's a question, uh, how much is one plus one? So if somebody says that one plus one is three, so you know that there is a response, that that's just wrong. And it's easy enough, it's easy enough to know that the, quest, the answer is wrong and it can be fixed. You can fix it. But there are questions that are so good that you actually can't fix them. And so you have to know the difference between the questions that have an answer and the questions that you could think about but they might not have an answer. So Dama la Shivla because according to Rab Nachman means know the difference between the questions you can deal with and the questions you can't deal with. And so you won't sound like a fool trying to deal with the questions that can't be can't be dealt with. So there's no doubt, there's no doubt that the questions that you ask at the night of the Seder are questions that don't have an ultimate answer to. And the reason that I know that is true is because we ask the same question every year. Now, why would we ask the same question every year if we knew the answer? So the difference between Zecher Yitziat Mitzrayim, Zecher Yitziat Mitzrayim, we say all the time, this mitzvah, and that mitzvah, and the night of Pesach, is because of Zecher, the memory of Yitziat Mitzrayim, the memory of Yitziat Mitzrayim, which was like a general idea, that's possible. But Sibu Yitziat Mitzrayim, to get down to the, fa- the, the, the lodestone of it, like what really happened, and how was it, well, that you could have trouble with. You're not going to be able to discover what that really, what that really is. All you could do is work at it year after year. And so the first question of the four questions is definitely a question that was asked by somebody who had been to the Seder the year before, the year before that. How do you know that? 
Oh, you know from last year. I know from last year. It's every year is the same. And every year I ask this question. And every year I ask the question of why is it so important on one night of the year or one week of the year to do the Sipur Yitziat Mitzrayim, to eat the matzah, whereas the rest of the year it's good enough to remember Yitziat Mitzrayim without going through all this paraphernalia of telling the story. And so obviously the difference is that when Zecher Yitziat Mitzrayim, you just have to remember that we left Mitzrayim, okay, that's easy enough. Like I could remember that Amalek attacked B'nai Yisrael, I can remember that. Does that mean that I understand it profoundly, that I know the depths of the experience, that I understand what happened? Certainly not. And that's what the Manishtana is to my mind. That's what the Manishtana is. It's the same question. The same question over again. And when you ask the same question, so the first question is Vachametsu Matsame, that's the only really significant question because uh, it's not clear. It's not clear why it, it, it was, it's true that the Jews ate the matzah when they left Mitzrayim, but it's not true that there was a big oh. emphasis on not eating chametz. It just happened with the Ebed. It was de facto that they didn't eat the chametz. So why don't we eat chametz? Why do we have to spend most of our time pushing out the chametz? I mean, that's what we do. I mean, all of Arab Pesach is about, it's not about matzah, it's about chametz. About chametz, chametz becomes the, and it symbolizes in in, uh, in rabbinic literature. Chametz symbolizes the enemy, the you know the bad, the yetsaharah. It's all like in the in chametz. Chametz became the most significant element of uh, uh, of Pesach, getting rid of chametz. That that's what you do. Uh, a Pesach for seven days this year for eight days by the way for eight days you you push out chametz you spend all your time looking for chametz matzah is easy you buy matzahs you have matzahs you put them in a box and you eat matzahs but but chametz chametz is a real issue chametz is a real issue how kosher is it should be? What, what does this kashrus look for? What does that kashrus look for? It, it, it's a real thing. I mean, it, it, could, it could be uh, confusing to say the least, but it could be mind-boggling at times. Uh, uh, you know, it divides the Jews up internationally. Like you say, could you use coconut oil? Is that what it's called, coconut oil? Is used to, in America, what? Peanut oil. Peanut oil. Here they have peanut oil also. No, but they had something in America. They use it in America, they don't use it in Israel. I love that. I said, where on the Atlantic Ocean does it become drink when you cross it? Oh, cottonseed oil. Yeah, right. I know, but cottonseed oil. Not in America, cottonseed oil. There's, there's a machlokas. The cottonseeds, the cottonseeds, they look like, um, yeah, you could say that they look like um, kidneyot, the cottonseeds. But you can't eat them. See, the, the cottonseed oil comes because you crush the cottonseeds and out comes oil. But you can't, you can't just crush them. You need a hammer or a machine. It's very, very difficult. So, so there was a, the post scheme couldn't figure out whether 
cotton seed was kidney oat, even though you can't eat them. Like, how can you call something something if you can't eat it? And the oil that comes out of the cotton seed should be kosher. Or, it's true, you can't eat them, but the oil is in there anyway, so maybe you shouldn't eat. So this is, this is we spend a lot of time on this, much more than we spend on matzahs. And matzahs are easy. So what is it, why, that's the first question. The first question is not about why we eat matzah, but the first question is about why we push out the chametz. They ate, they didn't eat chametz by accident. It wasn't like they thought about it. In any event, that's the first question. The second question is Sha'ar Yirakot and, and Maror. Other vegetables, we eat Maror. I mean, it doesn't mean that we don't eat the other vegetables, but it means there's an emphasis on Maror, which you don't have on other days of the year. So, okay, that's, that goes with matzah. And of course, today the Maror is not, is not Minha Torah because there's no Korban Pesach. The third question is, So the tefillot that we do, that we dunk, we dunk a, a potato or something into just to be confusing so that the children could say, that's for the children, they say, what are you doing? Hey, let's eat something, you know. That's what the the Gemara says, and the fourth one is she bechol aleilot anochlim ben yoshvim ben misubin aleila azekulano misubin. Okay, again, I said haseba is a mitzvah midrabbanan. All the mitzvot of the night of Pesach are done by haseba, except for eating moror. That would be too contrary. Like moror is because things are bad, and haseba is because things are good. So you don't do that. You don't do that. But but we have this idea of haseba, which is a drabona. So these are the fourth questions. Every one of us, which could either mean men, women, children, or it could mean rich and poor. Uh, as we said before, as we said before, it's a little odd that we're so careful about the poor people also doing the same. I mean, after all, they're, they're poor. And it doesn't make sense for them to act like as though they were rich. Okay, that's it. The four questions. These four questions have two answers in the Haggadah. Two primary answers. One of them is printed on the sheet that begins with the words Avadim, Ayinu, Leparo, Bimitzrayim. The second answer is not on the sheet, but I just remind you, it's later on, a little bit later, and it, it starts with the words Mitchila Ovdei Avoda Zara Ayu Avotei. Right? In other words, the difference is that answer number one starts from the Shiabud, from the slavery in Mitzrayim, and answer number two starts from Mitchila. They're talking about Terach. Right? Terach was the one who was an Oved Avodazara. Terach was the father of Abraham. It wasn't Abraham. It wasn't Yitzchak. It wasn't Yaakov. So the second answer is that the story of Pesach starts from Terach. But we're not going to do that tonight. 
We're going to do the first answer. The first answer is Avadim Ayinu Leparo That's how it starts. I don't have to tell the story of how I got to Mitzrayim and what was going on and what we doing. But it starts as though the beginning of the story of Pesach is the slavery in Mitzrayim. And God took us out of Mitzrayim and then Biyad uh, with a strong hand, with a, with a outstretched arm, right, indicating power, right, saying something powerful about, about God. And if HaKadosh Baruch had not taken us out of Mitzrayim, right, us today, our children, our grandchildren, we would, be, we would still be enslaved to Paro Mitzrayim. This is like a little bit difficult to say because there is no Paro and there is no Mitzrayim. Like the Egyptians disappeared from the world. There's just a country called Egypt but it's populated by Arabs. They're not, it's not populated by Egyptians. Right? The, whatever the language, right, the language of the Egyptians was, right, either Egyptian writing or Coptic writing at a later date, it all disappeared. So to say that we would still be Mishubadima Yidil is a little bit strange. But you, but you see the story I mean, what is the story? What, what, what is this? This is the whole story of Yitziat Mitzrayim. That Yitziat Mitzrayim, Yitziat Mitzrayim changed the course of history. That if not for Yitziat Mitzrayim, we'd still be slaves. And if what Yitziat Mitzrayim did was re- release us from slavery. And it doesn't matter it doesn't matter apparently what our situation is pragmatically today, whether we are in a good position or not such a good position in Eretz Israel or the diaspora, it all doesn't matter. Yitzhak Mitzrayim freed us and therefore we have adopted the quality of freedom and freedom is something that is indivisible. It, it doesn't uh, it doesn't change. It becomes part of your genetic makeup, so to speak. You are the people who went through the catharsis of freedom. And therefore you got it. That's what, that's what it says. That's what I think it means. That Shia Bud can only end by Yitzi'ah. There has to be some kind of dramatic act that takes you from slavery to freedom. If we would just have sat there in Mitzrayim, even if the Egyptians had disappeared and the Pharaohs had disappeared and we would be able to go around, it wouldn't be the same. It's not the same as being released from slavery to freedom. That becomes part of the makeup of the Jewish people and that element is something that that we pass down from generation to generation and therefore we've all got it it doesn't matter really 
It doesn't ra- matter really if it happened or it didn't happen or it happens now or it doesn't happen now. And then this paragraph ends with the following statement. Afilu kulanu chachamim, kulanu nevonim, kulanu zikenim. Without trying to distinguish these three words, right? Chachamim, nevonim, zikenim. We're talking about people who probably know the Haggadah by heart. They were there last year and the year before and 10 years before that, 20 years before that. So they know the story. They know what the Haggadah says. He says, Kulam yodim et ha-Torah, Kulam yodim et ha-Torah. And we know everything in the Torah, meaning we can tell the story our way, we can repeat the psukim of the Torah, we can say them backwards and forwards and upside down and inside out, and we can do all of that, right? We have this, we have this ability to, to use the words any way we'd like to use them. He says, Nevertheless, the Haggadah says, Mitzvah aleinu l'saper b'yitziat Mitzrayim. The mitzvah still exists. So the mitzvah obviously has nothing to do with knowledge. In other words, the, 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 uh, the what do you call it? The Haggadah understands that everybody's going to come and say this. I was here last year, and I was here the year before. Nothing has changed, and I know the story. And there were ten makot, and I, I, I dropped the 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 the, uh, the wine onto the plate when I say the ten. I know all of this. I know all this stuff, and I sing the song, and I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. So along comes the Haggadah, the answer to the question why. Right, the question that has no answer because you ask it every year again and again, and you recognize the fact that it has no answer. So the Haggadah says, even if you know all this Torah material perfectly, you still mitzvah aleinu lesaper biyitziat mitzrayim, which means that the way I'm, I'm trying to explain it. The mitzvah is you have to try to understand what happened at Yitziat Mitzrayim. Not to just tell the events as they are recorded in the Haggadah, or the events even as they are recorded in the Torah. But what is it that happened? What, why was it that the Jews had to go through this process to become the Jewish people? I mean, that's really the question. After all, God told Avram Avinu, this is your lot. Your children will go down to Mitzrayim. They'll be enslaved there for hundreds of years. And then they will get out. Well, why were they enslaved? For they didn't do anything. They didn't, they, they're not being punished. They were not punished in Mitzrayim. They weren't being punished for a specific transgression. Uh-huh. I thought in the in something when when Avon didn't believe when God said something to him, but great Nathan Avon didn't believe one of the things God said to him. But uh, but inheriting the land. Something like that. I think. And so I thought it was to do that. Well, maybe okay, but I don't think so. I mean, I understand what you're saying, but that's what I heard. I just got what to experience the good and the bad. Okay. Mm-hmm.
but there's no obvious, no obvious uh, uh, transgression no, that was we, made by. We told already, we told already, it never had. It's going to happen, though. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Maybe not in the same way that it happened. The Wiccans. Understand, yeah. but it's it, it. There is no obvious reason for the Jews to spend four hundred years or two hundred and ten years in Mitzrayim being punished for something they didn't do. They didn't do it, but they had to have the experience, apparently. So that's like I say, what's the real story here? What's the real story that we should tell? So why, why did it happen? Why did it happen? And why was Yitzhak Mitzrayim so important? And you see, it says it right here. It says it right here that uh, it, it says, et avotenu Mitzrayim. Until today. It doesn't mean we would be in the same situation that we were in. But Shia Bud would become part of our genetic makeup. And not freedom. And this notion that there is a kind of freedom that people inherit ideologically is the point that the, uh, is the point I think that the Haggadah is making is making for us, and therefore the Agada is right. Even that that those psukim mitzvah aleinu lisaper biyitziat mitzrayim. Again, I think that means that it's a it's in a, a mitzvah. It's incumbent upon us to search for the answer to the saper. To tell the story. To tell the story means to try to understand the story. Try to understand, not just to know the story, right? To know the facts, to know the psukim, to know this or that or the other thing. But try to understand why, why it's so important. So that's the first thing that I wanted to, uh, uh, to tell. I mean, this combination of things that we talked about is the first thing that I wanted to, to mention. Now there's this. Uh, piece, uh, the Preet Sadiq, that I would like to look at with you. You see the Preet Sadiq? It's at the bottom of the page. I will, I will read it. Bigmara lechem oni, shonim alav dvarim harbei. Right, lechem oni. The first thing mentioned in the Haggadah, lechem oni means impoverished bread. The drasha and the Gemara is lechem she'onim alav, right? The word oni also means to respond, to answer. It's the bread that we answer, tzvarim harbei. V'hainu she'tzarich liyot derech she'elau tshuva, he says. That's what he means, onim. La'anot means to answer. So there always has to be a question and an answer. The way I explained it is that the question doesn't really have an answer, which is the final answer, but you could look into it more and more each year. That's, that's how it works, right? The, the, there's this agreement between the son and the father, that the son asks the questions and the father's answers. The Gemara, Benosha alone. The Gemara says that if he has a son, the son should ask him. If he doesn't have a son, so his wife could ask the question. 
and if he's alone, so he asks himself. It was this idea, this idea that you stress the question is because the question remains. It doesn't have an answer. It just has indicators. It has things you could look at, things you could think about, right? That's what the, that's what the, the answer is. It also in the Haggadah, right? Later on in the Haggadah, Rab Gamliel said, That's his Nusach. He said, you have to say three things, right? Do you remember? So, so the way they say it in the Haggadah is he said, Why do we eat the matzah? Maror al shuma. How come he was instead of telling us? I mean, though he knew the answer, Rabban Gamliel, but he makes it into a question. Makes it into a question and an answer. should lo he speak. You don't say it as a direct statement. You say this matzah that we eat, we eat it because there wasn't enough time to make bread, so they made matzah. We don't say that. We say, this matzah that we eat, how come, how come we eat it? So Rabbi Gamliel understood that it was important to frame the material as a question and an answer, right? Rak derech she'ila u'tshuva. V'kachu girsat arosh. Now we're up to that next line. This is three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. The tenth line. Hainu. This is the Depri Tzadik. On that night, every person has to feel in his soul chadashot, new something new, something new. Adam that smoke you have to feel as though you left Mitzrayim. What does that mean? He has to feel a strong feeling that he was kind of got out of the impression. Meitzar is a narrow place, right? Some place where, where you're being uh, uh, oppressed. Every person has to feel. You see, he said already three times, Largish. Regesh, right? Feeling. You have to have this feeling. The point is that he can't feel that he's eating a piece of matzah or that he's eating the matzah with maror. He could do that every day, every day of the year, right? But it's got to be the matzah that they left Mitzrayim with. It got to be the maror that they ate every day. So you know, you know that the, that people, this is what the pre tzaddik is saying, people have the capacity to hallucinate. And a hallucination, hallucination is that the person who is having the hallucination, he, he's like in a real world. He, it's really happening for him. It's just that it's not connected to the world that other people are in. But we have this capacity, we have this capacity of dimayon. We can imagine things and imagine them to be real. We can imagine things to be real. So sometimes 
it becomes a problem. I mean, you can't do it too often, but you know that the people who did this all of the time in the ancient world were called Nevi'im. They, they were called prophets. They were able to imagine. We learned, we learned uh, just a couple of weeks ago that when Moshe Rabbeinu went into the Oel Moed, the Oel Moed, he heard the Torah, he heard the words of of God coming through the Kaporet and into the Oel Moed, but Bnei Yisrael didn't hear it. That was the way it was with Nevi'im. Nevi'im were able to hear things that other people were not able to hear. Yeah, part, part of the prophecy. What? With part of the prophecies. Prophets. Yeah. Nevi'im? Yeah. Right. Yeah, but that, but in other words, they live in a world which no one else can get into because they're not on that on that level. So that really, if you think about it, what the pre-tzaddik is asking each one of us to do is to be prophets of a source, to live in a world, a world world in which the matzah is the matzah of Yitziat Mitzrayim and not the matzah of some bakery uh, that charges you a tremendous amount of money from, from matzah. It's got to be the matzah of Yitziat Mitzrayim. Lechem Oni. Today a matzah, to call matzah Lechem Oni would be a little bit uh, uh, rash. I mean, like a matzah that costs during the year, like a shekel, Arab Pesach could cost you a hundred shekel. So, I mean, to say that that's lechem only is a little bit, a little bit hard to understand. So it turns out, according to the, the Pritzadik, that the, that the main enterprise on the night of Pesach is to be able to imagine yourself, to imagine yourself going through the process of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Of course, in order to do that, you have to know something about it. You have to ask the questions and give the answers. And when you ask the questions, even though you know that there is no answer, that is to say, no answer that trumps the... Uh, that's a bad word to say. <laughs> that, that, uh, there's, no, there's no answer that, that takes care of the, all the defaults that are possible. There's no perfect answer. But you can get yourself a little bit closer to understanding why we were in Mitzrayim and why we left Mitzrayim. And that possibility, that possibility according to the uh, according to the pre-tzadik is what enables you to imagine yourself in the world of Yitziat Mitzrayim. And that's really what, what we do. I think we uh, like everything else you know, Seder and, and Pesach became very stylized. We have the way we do it and what we do and how we, how we act and, and we sort of like, uh, we're too tired to try new tricks but according to according to the pre-tzaddik, <laughs> according to the pre <laughs> those phones they have a mind of their own. That's the thing. In any event, uh, I think that uh, that would explain that explains the Mishnah. You see the Mishnah. Let's go back to the beginning. He says, "Afilo anisha Yisrael lo even the, the, the Ani has to imagine himself as part of Yitziat Mitzrayim. It, was, it doesn't matter if you're talking about your capacity to imagine yourself as part of Yitziat Mitzrayim. It doesn't matter if you're poor or you're rich because reality fades away. It, it, it has no relevance. 
It has no relevance to where you are or what you're doing or where you're going. So the, so the Mishnah says, four cups of wine to this poor person who can't afford to buy anything for himself. It doesn't make any difference because in the world of imagination, he's no less than anybody else. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, that's why we start off in Aramaic. We say, Again, we, we're imagining it. It's not real. But it could be real. It could be real in our in our imagination. And then hashata hachalashana babara di Israel. It's also something we we have to imagine. This is what the uh, you know. I don't know if ideologically everybody would be happy about it, but but just as the Jews in Mitzrayim spent time imagining getting to Eretz Canaan. Right, so we have to also imagine that. Uh, I don't. I, I think that the, that this is a statement written in the diaspora for the diaspora Jews, and I think it's correct. I think it's part of the imagining. Part of the imagining is that as long as you're in the diaspora, you really are not fulfilling the demand of of the of the Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Yitzhak Mitzrayim did not produce a perfect solution. Because there was the problem of the Egele Zahavan and the problem of the, of the Miraglim and then problems in Eretz Israel, but it, we moved steadily in a certain direction, and that's what we have to see at the sea on the night of Pesach, and night of Pesach as well. Tough. Have a wonderful Pesach. <laughs>